0: Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR me. ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all.
1: Way back
0: and
1: go! Touch them all, Joe Maurer!
0: And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins.
1: It's a beautiful game,
0: game. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB.
1: Play ball. I didn't know they still had a team.
0: That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore.
1: Touch them all podcast from the backfield. What field is this? Field six? Uh no, I think it's field five. No, field five is right behind us there, Phil Mac. No, oh, but it's probably field six. I think it's field six.
0: Which is relevant to the content here. Because we're going to break down, we're going to rank the Twins spring training side fields one through (laughs) seven.
1: In order of their contributions to both World Series winning teams 25 years ago. Well, actually, uh, the
0: 1987 World Series winning team trained in Orlando. So it would really only be the 1991 World Series. This would rank
1: pretty low, then, on the list of contributions to 1987. How many home runs did Mike
0: Pagliarulo hit (laughs) on field three in Fort Myers? Wow, deep
1: cut. (laughs) Uh, This is a little different episode of the Touch Em All podcast. I'm Derek Wetmore, and he's Phil Mackey. We are basically just going to have some fun. We're recording it from Fort Myers, Florida, just before the Twins play another spring training game. We're out on the backfield watching a little bit of infield-outfield drills, some batting practice. And it's some optimism. Optimism reigns on this episode of the podcast. We've spent a long time, probably longer than anybody in the market, in terms of just volume, ripping on the Twins. <laughs> like, just, Well, just, not, not unjustified no, or unfairly. not unfairly. You lose 103 games, and you make a decision to continue your level of coverage, well, that coverage is going to skew mostly negative. Before, okay, just a quick aside yes. already on this podcast. Tangents before we, are what we b-
0: do. Before we get into uh, what we're actually going to talk about, can I tell you, because we, we've been... I think we call it like it is, whether it's on yeah. fifteen hundred ESPN or or this podcast. And I feel like you're right. The last year or two, it's been ever since the end of the of the near wildcard playoff run. Mm-hmm. So the last year and a half or so, it's been really hard to be optimistic or positive. About this team. They've made so many missteps and different moves that
1: they've made or haven't made.
0: And feel good about it.
1: Like, you could always yeah. spin some optimism, but you might not be telling the whole truth.
0: Sure. And so, you know, I've covered this team now for the better part of a decade. I covered the beat for about four or five years. And, and, have, and at one point, we were the flagship radio station for Twins Baseball. So, you mm-hmm. build relationships when you're around and... Uh, some people I've gotten to know I haven't talked with very much in the last couple of years for obvious reasons because they're either getting fired or uh, maybe they're part of the bad process that has sunk the twins in the past few years. And so the one thing I was just selfishly and personally curious yeah. about coming down here was when I run into the people that that fall under the blanket of criticism, are we just like on non-speaking terms and and, and to widen this to the audience listening? Uh, It seems like all of the leftover front office people and coaches and players, it seems like they all understand now that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are here and pointing out some of the obvious flaws in their process, they all understand how warranted and justified the criticism was, not just from us, but from fans and from everybody. So there's an awareness. I think uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that, that everyone is sort of seeing now as they line up their goals and their checkpoints for how to get back to contention and it just it it feels like everyone is it's it's an unspoken thing that everyone who was being criticized last year who is still here and some of them might not be here at the end of the year are like you know what okay i get it okay Mm
1: -hmm.
0: no hard feelings fans media whoever it was
1: well and i've gotten this sense maybe maybe i'm reading too much into it so correct me oh spring training veteran It does feel like it's more than just lip service that people here are are sort of, uh, I don't want to say turning the page, because that's a stupid cliche, but that they are sort of opening the door to what I think will be a new era of Twins Baseball. There's just different evaluation processes, different ways you go about improving day to day. It's not to say that it's going to flip overnight and just become, oh, hey, well, now they've got new leadership, so World Series, here we come. Uh, but I do think it just it, it has a different vibe to me this year. Am I, am I reading too much into that, or have you gotten that sense in your time down here? As well?
0: um, I, I do sense the same thing. I think if you were to ask me just flat out, will Thad Levine and Derek Falvey turn this team into a, an annual contender once again? And I think the answer is yes. Just talking to people and even spending time with those guys in the week down here, I think the answer is yes. But almost every time in the Twin Cities or even any market, Anytime you fire someone who is perceived to be the cause of a problem, Tim Brewster, uh, Glenn Mason, any other like uh, Brad Childress, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, there's always a sense of optimism and and renewed interest when the new guy comes in, because there's now there's new philosophies and there's a new a new vision and that's right. Most yeah. of the time in Minnesota sports, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Why will this work when most of the time, the last 25 years, it doesn't work in terms of championship contention? I just think it's for the first time in 15 years, the Twins have a modern front office that's here to not only compete with the other modern front offices but to maybe even innovate in ways that other teams aren't. And it's and pardon the wind by the way if you hear gusts of wind we're literally sitting outside like on a chain link fence field recording this podcast with sprinklers in our faces. Yeah, the so the sprinklers <laughs> just kicked
1: in which so, is kind of a nice touch. Uh,
0: but when you go from old school Terry Ryan and and stick to the old school scouting methods with sort of an analytical department that doesn't get heard nearly as much as some of the other organizations, anything newer than that will feel refreshing. Sure. So we are it's a honeymoon period, and I don't want to go too far and praise them too much because I'm sure there's going to be stumbling blocks, but it, everyone seems to rave about inside yeah. and outside the organization, these two guys, to the point where it's hard not to be optimistic.
1: Yeah, well, and they haven't really done that much yet, so let's just – uh, we should pump the brakes on that sort of long-term optimism, but I think I sort of share that sense of uh, at least they're going to give themselves a fighting chance to straighten this thing out the right way. But this episode, this specific episode of the Touch em All podcast is five reasons for immediate optimism. 2017 optimism reigns for the Minnesota Twins, and we just got a list of five things. We'll kind of kick them back and forth and riff off of those so if you want me to start i would be you, happy to jump in here
0: you fire away and i will react or maybe even add to your list of five and make it seven by the end oh, of okay, the, wow. because i am i've got two pictures of twins kool-aid and we might as well <laughs> drink and we're in fort myers there's no clouds yeah. in the sky if there's ever a time to mainline twins optimism yes. and twins kool-aid
1: this would be the time. Yeah. So if you'd hook up that IV to my arm really quickly, I will start by saying that get it ready. Obviously, obviously the pitching needs to improve. That's not a very well kept secret. Um, and to that end, I think two guys who I've seen in Fort Myers that I expect will improve the pitching staff, uh, the starting staff specifically, are Trevor May who's going to start in about an hour here as we record this podcast, so who knows how that start will go, but I won't change my opinion no matter what happens here. Trevor May and Phil Hughes, I think, are two guys that you can expect a lot more production out of in 2017. And I'm making this statement uh, before Trevor May has really gotten stretched out as a starter, before anyone's really seen him very much, I mean, since 2014, honestly, and... Before Phil Hughes has even shown that his velocity is all the way back, like we don't even know that as we record this podcast. If he's not back to ninety-three, well, then I'm probably going to soften on this stance. But just based off what I've seen in Fort Myers, I think those are two guys that I would be quote-unquote buying the proverbial stock in as we get into the twenty seventeen season. Well,
0: and I'm and I'm just reacting to your to your list of optimism uh, points here. That's so one point, by the way. So those
1: two guys equal one. And I
0: don't know, maybe maybe you have some other uh, starting pitching-related items on your list, but I would just say, I would even add to those, whether it's May or Hughes or Jose Barrios or Kyle Gibson, and you could even throw in, like, a Tyler Duffy or or some other pitchers, too. Not that all of them are going to get better, but some of them have to be better than last year. Yeah, they were operating
1: maybe at their, like, like, 10th percentile, There's just going to be
0: some natural regression to the mean, and, um, I... I like, I like Trevor May in the rotation. In fact, I thought he was throwing pretty well if you look at some of the peripheral, more advanced numbers. His FIP as a starter, his strikeout rate, and that was in his first or second year. So yeah. um, if he's healthy and the back issues have gone away, and, he, and, and hasn't he said on the record, too, that some of the back issues he's had, he feels like if he's on more of a a starting rotation regimen where he knows he's going to pitch every fifth day instead of having to maybe pitch three days in a row and get up, warm up. That That's a little more taxing on your back when you're coming out of the bullpen yeah. than when you well, have an actual schedule. So, yeah, I think just to, to, I, Barrios, Gibson, May, Phil Hughes, if two of them can get better, mm-hmm. your rotation is is no longer a 5-plus ERA. Sure. Guessing.
1: And I don't know if I've heard May say that, but that is kind of the sentiment that I've gotten from the Twins. Uh, that, that the bullpen work just might not be him, you know? It, it might not work from a health standpoint for him. And it seems to, I mean, it's intuitive, I would think, like based on sort of what I'm hearing behind the scenes, that if you're just kind of like never quite sure of when you're going to have to warm up and get loose and you'll sometimes get up and warm up and throw 20 pitches and not pitch that day and then you got to go throw high-stress innings the next day, I don't envy the life of a reliever. And the flip side of that coin is that starters have just a bigger workload. So who knows? Maybe maybe health problems are just going to follow May wherever he goes, and that there's nothing to fix. And also, just to temper the optimism a tiny bit, I won't do too much of this on this podcast because I can be a wet blanket at times. Um, they're going to have used to.
0: to be Derek Moore, and then they started <laughs> yes. calling you Derek Wetmore Derek. after you started this podcast.
1: And that's only because of resistance from me when when I refused to start going by. Derek wet blanket more. Um, <laughs> they're going to have to get better because Irvin Santana probably going to be worse. I mean, it was just, you talk about regression to the mean there, there is a, a piece that's not on my list of optimism, but could be regression will help the twins this year. Yeah. Regression from a lot of the pitchers uh, to their more, you know, 50th percentile state will be a step forward for the Twins, so that's good. Irvin uh, Santana, though, I don't expect him to repeat the 3.38 ERA he posted last
0: w- one year. One thing that's really important, and this is another reason why I like Trevor May in the rotation, and you know, Phil Hughes has shown this in the past... The Twins need more strikeouts from their starters. They just need to miss more bats. And there's no chance they jump up and all of a sudden become a top 10 strikeout staff in 2017. In fact, it looks like another bottom five strikeout staff if you look at track records and things like that. But Trevor May gives you a chance to miss some bats. Yes, he does. Jose Barrios gives you a big-time chance to miss some bats. Sure. Irvin Santana misses enough bats. His strikeout rates are generally in the 75
1: Uh, K-9 per range. Hughes, when he was healthy, was in that same range too, and I wrote a piece for 1500ESPN.com that basically says he hasn't had his fastball for two years, so 2015-2016, not that I'm throwing out those stats, but I look at them with sort of a skeptical eye that says... He was pitching with diminished stuff, and of course his strikeout rate's going to fall. Of course he's not going to miss as many bats. Of course simil- his ERA goes up.
0: But he had a similar issue in his 20s, in his mid-20s, where the velocity just sort of disappeared early in the year with the Yankees. And they called it a dead arm. They weren't really sure what it was. And maybe it had to do with the procedure that, you know, obviously he needed. The, yeah, thoracic the outlet movement. syndrome. Um, but, you know, it's baseball, when you're looking at run prevention, just from a macro standpoint, it's pretty simple. The more balls you allow in play, so the fewer strikeouts and the fewer bats that you miss, the more reliant you are on your defense to turn those batted balls into outs. Okay, now the attention turns to defense, and what have they done to help you the last few years since moving into target field? Less than most franchises in the American League. So um, final
1: point on that, and then we can get to Kool-Aid item number two. Kool-Aid item number two, yes, but first uh, pitching Dark Horse just from here in Fort Myers and kind of, you know, Keeping my ear to the ground a little bit and watching some bullpens and stuff like that. A guy you might not see break camp in the rotation, but you will eventually learn his name. It's the guy that came over in the Eduardo Nunez trade from the Giants last year. Alberto Mejia is going to, uh, he's going to be a name that you'll know at some point in the future as a Twins fan. So keep an eye on him. Kool-Aid item number two.
0: Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the Gold Medal for American Style Lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch Em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So, find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades right on the corner of 694 Brooklyn Boulevard, Luther com.
1: It sort of relates to the pitching staff, but it's indirect jason castro and the outfield defense that currently projects to start the season i i wrote a column in which i sort of asked will they help the the starting staff lower its collective era and the second sentence was well like yes the answer is yes but the question then becomes how much i don't know what that answer is is it Is it a quarter of a run shaved off their ERA? Is it a full run shaved off their ERA? That would seem pretty drastic to me, but think about this if you're a pitcher, and you just mentioned Phil, so I hope I'm not stealing your thunder. I'm more like borrowing your thunder. You can borrow my thunder. standing on the shoulders of giants with this point. (laughs) That is, if you started a game as a starting pitcher in which Oswaldo Arcia was playing left field, Miguel Sano was playing right field, and Kurt Suzuki who has his strengths and has his weaknesses uh, is behind the plate you know whether it's uh, whether it's through balls that just are are hit to the corner that should have been singles and turned into triples or should have been outs and turned into doubles it might not bite you in the butt in one start for example but over the course of 15, 20, 33 starts, that's going to be a huge negative impact on your ERA because more base runners, fewer batted balls turning into outs, and even if it doesn't go down as an error, let's say, I promise you there were balls last year that Miguel Sano didn't turn into outs that Max Kepler will. Yeah. And I promise you that the same thing is going to be true in left field the the drop-off you know eddie rosario started the season sure but then he lost his job robbie grossman had a really bad season in left field oswaldo arcy is a terrible outfielder like these are things that you can improve without changing anything about the pitches that the pitcher is throwing or the placement of the batted balls from the hitters and just don't have a palm tree with a glove standing in left field <laughs> yeah
0: yeah ball I-
1: rattles into the corner Oh, it appears
0: Oswaldo Arcea's cleats have been rooted into the ground here at Target Field. This will be an inside the park home run. Yeah,
1: and having Byron Buxton patrol center field is a huge positive impact for any starting pitcher because those balls that might have been doubles to the alley, now they're turning into outs.
0: In fact, when you so you mentioned the team ERA, I almost feel like not that we should get rid of ERA because I know I get that you're trying to separate, you know, in some ways was it the pitcher's fault that this run score, but if if the concept is run prevention, however that is, whether you eliminate errors or whether you just have better range and track down, uh, like you said, what should be a single, instead of turning it into a double or a triple, just track that ball down yeah, in the gap. Yeah, go ahead catch it. Yes, yeah, yeah. either catch it or just field it before it rolls to the fence. I remember Josh Willingham in left field, or Jason Kubel in right field. Jason Kubel actually, for... For his limited range was pretty good within that range but just didn't have a great range so he'd make these diving catches and people would say jason kubel look at this guy yeah. great outfield defense but like he'd be diving for line drives or fly balls that other competent well-ranging right fielders would just camp
1: underneath well, so, the joke in the target field press box for about three years now has been if there was ever an outfielder that just missed a diving catch or that you know, sprinted to the wall to track down a double and keep it from becoming a triple, we would just turn to each other and say, Buxton camps under that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, he catches so much, uh, so many things that wouldn't necessarily be called an error. Jose, if you're, Jose Batista third-deck shot. Right. Buxton takes Buxton. the elevator and is, is waiting it. for that ball in the third deck. Yeah. So it wouldn't necessarily go down as an error for your sort of league-average center fielder, but if Buxton can stretch that range mm-hmm. further than somebody else could in an average situation... Like, we might not have a number that's going to perfectly peg how valuable that is, but the answer is not zero, and that it's going to be a positive contribution over one hundred sixty-two yeah. games.
0: The errors. Con- I always have this conversation when when uh, when baseball broadcasters, uh, producers, or Fox Sports North, whatever it is, when they put fielding percentage on the screen, especially for outfielders. Yeah. I hate fielding, and percentage. I always complain about that on Twitter. And inevitably, I get a few responses. Well, like. But it's showing you that the Twins have a good fielding percentage in this regard. Fielding percentage doesn't account for, for instance, if Nick Punto in his prime is playing third base, and I'm also playing third base, and you're just, like, (laughs) watching these side by side, and a ground ball is hit to the hole toward shortstop. Well, um, I'm not going to come anywhere near that because I'm just, like, a guy who hasn't played baseball since high school, right? But it's not an error. It wasn't an error. I didn't make the play, but it wasn't an error because I didn't get there. Nick Punto might range over there, field it, and then sail a throw, let's say, over the first baseman's head. Well, he's going to get charged with an error on a play that he actually had a shot to make and might have 25 different chances to make and might convert it 22 times when I would just let that ball roll through or Pablo Sandoval or whoever. So um, just and back to the outfield defense part of this too. It is... It, it's so amazing to me that the Twins went away from their blueprint of winning a World Series in 1991 and resurging in the early 2000s, which was outfield defense in all caps. I mean, it must have been written in every clubhouse they ever played in because they had center fielders in left field and right field, and they had they had gold glovers and Hall of Fame caliber defensive players, um, Kirby Puckett in his prime and Torrey Hunter in his prime. And like they just... They never went to that philosophy when Target Field was built, and it's a more spacious ballpark. So I'm sort of curious to see them for the first time put all their chips in on outfield defense with Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton, and Max Kepler.
1: Uh, Again, I'm not going to be a wet blanket, so I'll just skip some of the valid concerns that I have over Eddie Rosario's future. But – that is an exciting potential outfield if you're a Twins fan, uh, having those three guys out there. And let's just kind of brush past Castro for now, because I think we'll spend plenty of time this season talking mm-hmm. about the Jason Castro impact.
0: Yeah. One real quick before we get to your next uh, Twins Kool-Aid item here. Yes. I bad metaphor analogy alert. I compare outfield defense and pitch framing and all these little fringe things that. You might not even see on a game-to-game basis. You mean you might see certain plays uh, that obviously lead to a run, or a catcher obviously like frame a crappy pitch on a three-two count, and whatever. Like you might see, but I almost compare it to if you're trying to lose 30 pounds over the course of two months, and t- so two people are trying weigh the same amount, and they're trying to get from 250 to like 220 or something. Well, if I eat that cookie, and you don't. It's not going to make a difference tomorrow when we weigh ourselves. But if I eat a cookie every day and you don't, it might be five pounds difference at the end of our, whatever our time period is. And that's the same thing. You know, one ball that runs the alley because a statuesque left fielder wasn't able to get to it, whatever, like the pitcher might come back and get the next out and the end is over, right? Yeah. But if that happens twice a week over the course of six months, ERAs go up. Mm Mm-hmm. Run prevention goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, more pressure on the offense. It just—it's a—it's—it's it's more of a, an accumulation of yeah. things that add up to 50 extra runs throughout
1: the course of a season. So the only pitcher that the Twins added this winter to a terrible pitching staff—the uh, only pitcher they added on a major league contract is Matt Belial, who is like as I think as most people would describe him as like a seventh-inning guy, right? Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be your I don't your think closer. he's really pitched in the American League either. He's 10 years in the National League. So you'd see that, and you'd think, how the hell are they going to improve their pitching staff without addressing it? I would say that they sort of did address it, but they, I mean, obviously they didn't directly address it, but they sort of indirectly addressed it. So that's that's my call, this bold prediction 101 on the Touch 'Em All podcast, that despite not doing anything to help their pitching staff, I mean, realistically— They'll have a lower ERA in 2017 than they did in 2016.
0: And I'll, I'll throw another word in. A lot lower. Okay. Unless Byron Buxton two words. tears his ACL. Yeah. But that's, that's true. It is two, two words. Two words. Is the uh even a word? It's like a word and a half. A lot. I don't know. Uh is a
1: word. A lot.
0: The twins... <laughs> The Twins will have significantly lower ERA. There go. That's one More word. syllables, okay. but it's one <laughs> word. Uh,
1: moving on to the next point, which we kind of danced around here a little bit, is Byron Buxton. Um, I wrote a column. and Now, this is like some people are criticizing the column, or it's not even a column. It was just a straight news story on how Buxton is exhibiting more leadership tendencies. And I just... I, I don't know. Glenn like, Perkins just drove by yeah. in a golf cart, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, I wonder Glenn. if he's gonna go get nine holes in, or if he's just uh, on the rehab trail. Um, so, the the Buxton piece that I wrote had like very little to do with his on field performance, and so I was getting some negative feedback, as as social media is wont to do. That, they're like, well, let it make and prove it on the field before you make any big declarations. But the, the only point of the column, and we'll, we'll get to the reason Buxton's on this list in a second. Uh, the point of the column is that the Twins are going to need a very good player to take over and be sort of the face. Like, Joe Maurer's not, I mean, he's the face of the franchise nationally, just because most people don't know very many Twins players because they've been bad for so long. In the
0: way that Todd Helton at the end was still the face of the sure. Rockies and they were not that good and sure. it just wasn't the old Todd Helton. You just
1: have, you, just have, uh, you know, it takes time to, to replace those images in your mind. And to me, uh, Byron Buxton is that next guy. And based on some conversations with him, based on some digging around, talking to people around the Twins clubhouse – it's a different Byron Buxton this spring, and that's that was the point of the story. You know, does this all it, stem from the Tory
0: Hunter conversation at the beginning so of September last year?
1: I don't think that it all stems from that. I think just like anything, I mean you have it's take take a human that is in accounting for a you know, a, a company in the Twin Cities. It's no different. You have like your professional mentors, you have your personal uh, life, the family members and friends and people like that that influence you and impact your life, and uh, you have your life experiences, uh, whether it's professional, personal, um, whatever. There are just all of these things that sort of shape who you are today and who you'll be tomorrow. And Tory Hunter is one of those people for Byron Buxton. But I think it's oversimplifying it to say, you know, Tory called him up last. August, late August, early September and said, "Hey kid, you know, you're a star, go be a star. Don't uh don't listen to so many outside influences." Like I think that's part of it, but I think that the way Buxton talks about what it means to be a leader at 23 years old, I think is I think he far exceeds his years. His wisdom exceeds his age in that department and I think that that's what was impressive to me about talking to Buxton and, and hearing from too what, what his teammates are seeing about him because it doesn't matter what I think I'm a I'm a writer with a podcast who cares I've been wrong about baseball as uh, many people are quick to point out I've been wrong hundreds of times um, and that's okay but when you hear teammates like everyone to a person saying oh yeah I've noticed a different vibe like it's I, I think it goes beyond just What my observation says because I said, Oh, this he looks more confident, like he walks into a room now and he's just kind of he owns it. Yeah, and teammates are saying, No, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing to myself. And to me, if Buxton, uh, this is the two part positive thing Buxton showing early leadership tendencies, I think is a great sign for the twins that I don't think we should look past. Secondly. It's hard to ignore what Buxton did last September in the majors when he finally showed that he's capable of being that all-around dominant force, you know, superstar type player that scouts have been projecting for a couple of years. That's the sort of two-pronged uh, third Kool Aid point that uh, Byron Buxton, that you've been hearing about since 2012, yeah. might actually be here now.
0: It, it he feels like a force ready to be unleashed, and you saw a sample of it in September. But September is a tough month to really judge breakout As stars. As
1: is spring training. Yes. Yes.
0: So so everything that happens. I mean, hell, Aaron Hicks hit three bombs in a game four years ago against the Phillies in Clearwater. I remember and it was that. Like, oh my God, he's yeah. the starting center fielder for the next ten years. Yeah. Um, Luke Hughes led the team in home runs back to back years down here and turned out to be uh, nothing in the major leagues, but. And and this is one spring game, and it it doesn't really mean anything, but I I was encouraged in his first three at-bats of the spring. We watched the night game on Friday night here when they played the Rays. He leads off the game, laser shot to opposite field, caught. He hit it right to the right fielder, but it was an absolute perfect trajectory. He squared it up, opposite field, so he's not obviously not super pull-happy in that in that at-bat. Uh, then he hit a laser down the left field line in, in his next at-bat for one of those standing doubles where he thinks about third, that no yes. other player in baseball
1: would right. ever think about third. You're on like ball sliding on into line. second base and Buxton's around in yeah. third.
0: And then his third at-bat, most people probably just saw, oh, pop up to left field, he just missed hitting a 450-foot home run. One of those where he squared it up but just got a little under it and hit this towering fly ball to the middle of left field. So mm-hmm. uh, he's on it early. Most hitters are way behind pitchers early on, and you saw it. Like Miguel Sano swung and missed it his first four pitches that he saw yeah. uh, from one at-bat to the other. So um, he's clearly he's been putting in the work. I think he's been having the right conversations. And and Twins fans, you have a player in Byron Buxton that isn't just going to be potentially an impact player but if he fulfills all of his promise and all of his skill sets he is a top five overall position player in the league as soon as this year if it clicks it's crazy to say that and i'm not all out predicting it but that's what they have here they don't just have um think about some of the other players who've been called up even justin morno from 12 years ago didn't have the speed tool necessarily um when Ben Revere was called up and he was a first-round pick, he didn't have the power tool or the arm tool. Byron Buxton has every tool in the tool bag, and it's just a matter of honing those things and carrying the momentum from September.
1: Uh, Derek Wet more here again. and it's not what this podcast is about. I know, so it'll be quick. It's just to say that one month of September does not... Uh, Hall of Fame career make. Totally you know? agree. Yeah. So totally agree. so Buxton to me the way I evaluate it, and I try to be as impartial and objective about this as as possible. I just I I mean I think he has a lot left to prove. I think, you know, he's going to strike out a lot. His contact rate's not exactly what you would expect from a star player, but Mike Trout strikes out a lot. So that's not going to be Damning, unless he strikes out, you know, in like 40% of his at-bats. But even uh, the 34% rate from last year would would have led the majors. So that's something that you've got to keep an eye on. And Buxton's yet to sort of prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's going to be the superstar player. But with that being said some of the body of evidence is starting to come together to suggest he can actually be that player it's not a pipe dream and the twins might actually be just okay uh hoping that that actually goes down
0: so i'm going to go really really stat geeky and analytical on you here to counter your uh, wet blanket 34 percent strikeout rate okay yeah because of his speed and because of how hard he hits the ball when he does make good contact Mm -hmm. He'll also have one of the higher batting average on balls in play in the league, is my yeah. guess. Once if, if sure. you look at his next five years, if you know if he sort of figures it out but still strikes out a lot, his batting average has a chance, his overall batting average has a chance and on base percentage, has a chance to be higher than most players who strike out that yes. often. Just simply because of infield singles he beats sure. out or uh, just you know, putting pressure on defensive players more yep. regularly.
1: I agree. And counterpoint to your counterpoint, I don't think he'll have the power. He won't have the power that some of those Chris Davises of the world have. But you know what? That's okay. There's... Oh, but a counterpoint to your yeah. counterpoint. <laughs> to your... <laughs> okay, let's just tie a bow on the Byron Buxton thing and say not quite there yet, but superstar in the making, potential. Um, that sounds
0: good. Okay. That's
1: enough Twins Kool-Aid for, for
0: that section of this Yeah,
1: point. well, points four and five, I guess we'll go quick because we kind of already talked about Thad Levine and Derek Falvey, but that's my, my point number four. Uh, I think these are the right guys. I think that Derek Falvey is young and unproven and doesn't have experience at this upper echelon of running a front office, so there are still a lot of things that he'll have to prove. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to win executive the year in his first season and You know, who knows if this rebuilding project even works under these guys, but based on all that I have taken into consideration here from hearing from other people, talking to players, talking to those two guys in person, sort of observing them, how they go about their job and that kind of thing, how they deal with the media, which is a small, but not, not insignificant portion of their job, I get the sense that the twins made two good hires here i think that they're two good people to run a front office
0: i agree uh the, the the two things i keep hearing from everyone inside and outside the organization who's come in contact with these guys is home run hires highly highly regarded around the league uh if it wasn't the twins that hired Derek falvey somebody else would in the next year or two just depending on job openings and um and, and the other thing I keep hearing, too, especially about Derek Falvey, is he loves to import information from smart people. So he's he's the big-picture macro-blueprint thinker. And, for instance, he sat down with every player in camp, all 62 players, just to get their thoughts on their career, on on the Twins, if they play for the Twins, and then to... To be transparent and explain where he thinks they stand going in, he sat down with Glenn Perkins for an hour and a half to talk about the entire system. Take me through your entire journey through the minor leagues, through the major leagues, what went wrong for the organization. Asked him questions basically for an hour and a half. So he loves to soak in information, ponder, make decisions. They're interviewing baseball ops people. So if you're mad that they didn't just fire everyone, and then they are interviewing baseball ops people on. A weekly basis in in minneapolis and down here via mm-hmm. phone in person so you're i think you're going to see a lot of changes to the on-field product the coaching staff the way that they coach even the people on the coaching staffs from the major leagues the minor leagues the front office it's just not going to be today sure they're going to they're going to soak in information hell theo epstein mm-hmm. when he came when he took over the cubs they lost a ton of games the first three years. I think this Twins team has a better set of prospects and is just a little further ahead in terms of the, develop- the development of their system uh, than the Cubs were five years ago. So th- I, this, I don't think this is a true 103-loss team. I think this was more like an 85 or a 90-loss team that probably just they started 0 and 9 and just ev- everything went crazily wrong. So yeah. Um, yeah. So to long-winded answer again, I'll repeat myself. Are they going to turn this thing around and make this team an annual contender and a World Series contender? I would, if if I have to put my chips on yes or no, I'm putting my chips on yes.
1: Um, I had a point off of that and I it slipped from my mind. So. It can happen. It's yeah.
0: very sunny out here. And, well,
1: and we're getting ready to go watch a baseball game, so I've kind of my, maybe my attention has shifted to that. But I also wanted to get one final point in before we do. Uh, shut down this podcast, and it's because I think that there's a misperception out there. I spent a lot of time this winter talking about how the Twins should trade Brian Dozier because the the look, the look nutshell version of my point is that eventually, to be a real contender, you need better starting pitching than what the Twins have. I don't think that they're ever going to outspend for the Zach Greinke's of the world. I also don't see them drafting the... You know, Steven Strasburgs of the world, uh, the the Max Scherzes of the world, the Chris Sales of the world. So how do you get that guy then? Oh, the only other avenue to acquire pitching is via trade, and I think the Twins eventually are going to have to go down that path. They're going to have to trade some really good players and make some really difficult decisions in order to augment their pitching staff. Um, now maybe I was being a little uh, too too. Um, Eager? Eager's the wrong word because, like, whatever. Whatever they do this winter, I'll still analyze it and I'll still cover the 2017 Twins just were Well, you were, you were bullish on, them
0: on, on the idea that they should trade Dozier. I was too.
1: Yes, and so that led to a lot of people thinking that I don't like Brian Dozier. I don't think he's a good player. Look, just because I don't think he's going to repeat his 2016 season doesn't mean I don't think he's a nice player. I think Brian Dozier's a really good player, so that's my point number five. The Twins still have Brian Dozier. They have a player who potentially could hit 40 home runs. Sano could hit 40 home runs. Now, I think Dozier's probably more like a 25 or 30 home run hitter, but you get that out of second base along with some decent defense and sort of like this veteranness that's hard to quantify. That's a really good spot to start if you're the Twins. There's a lot to like about where their offense is at right now, and Brian Dozier's a prime reason for that. Um, If you fall out of contention, okay, maybe it's a different story at the trade deadline. You're looking to move some people and boost your future, but right now they didn't take as big of a step back in the present than I thought they were going to, so the twins are actually a little bit ahead of where I would have expected them to be for 2017. So how's that for some optimism? Yeah, I believe Dozier turns 30 years old, which is amazing. He's, like, he's, yeah, he's turning 30 in May. I want to say. Yeah, these guys get old quick. It's I know. Crazy. Um,
0: uh, so if the the de- the decision is, if if all you're going to get is one top young pitcher, do you pull the trigger on that deal if it pops up again before the deadline? And if not, are you prepared to maybe sign Dozier to an extension? So the, the, do, you uh, do you want to pay him five $20 million ab- dollars when he's 34? Right. right, exactly. Or do you want to get the next Jose De Leon? Uh Well, I do think – and where I would hesitate a little bit to say instantly, even though they need pitching, you have to make the trade for pitching, is because yeah. Derek Falvey comes from, from an organization that found Corey Kluber as a 25-year-old toiling AAA pitcher and sure. turned him into a Cy Young. Uh, Cody Allen was, was their closer the last two years. And he was a 23rd-round draft pick. So I I do think the avenues by which you can acquire top-end starting pitching or develop it are wider with Derek Falvey than with Terry Ryan.
1: Sure, fair point. And counterpoint to your point, as this has become a theme on the episode, I don't know this, and it's not even informed speculation. It's just armchair question. How much of Corey Kluber becoming an ace is the Indians are just so far in a way better than the industry at developing pitching? And how much is they got a little lucky? Sometimes you oh, just sure. got to throw a bunch of darts, There's buy a, a bunch of lottery ball. tickets, yeah. and just get lucky. And that can happen. But when's
0: the last time the, twi- the twins got lucky with Johan Santana, Rule 5 guy, taught him a changeup, so, so partial credit? Sure. He got, was available,
1: you got lucky. Got uh, a little lucky with Liriano, I'll yeah. say, and then got a little unlucky with Liriano. Yeah. You know. So,
0: but that's been that's over a decade ago.
1: That's right. I, We're yep. talking a decade You're...
0: drought. They haven't even gotten lucky once right. to get a top end starting pitcher in the <laughs> last decade. That's a long drought. In fact, they've only really had Liriano for 5 minutes, but as far as multiple years in a row, top top end starting pitcher, you got after Jack Morris. I know. It I think there's been one. It's tough. I think Johan Santana is the only one in 25 years, in your lifetime, basically.
1: It's tough. Um, I do remember my point, and maybe we close the episode with this, unless there are other Twins Kool-Aid that you need to chug real quick before we get no, out of pe- here. Hey,
0: if people want to drink Twins Kool-Aid with us, they can hit us up on Facebook, Derek Wetmore MLB, yep. uh, or Phil Mackey Radio if you have other items that we aren't
1: included. Yeah, and if there's some Twins Kool-Aid that we're missing, tweet us too. He's at Phil Mackey, I'm at Derek Wetmore, and hashtag it. Twins Kool-Aid. We would would definitely get in on the retweet game for some of those. But the last point that I was going to say is I'm not even going to dig up this audio. I'm just going to ask you to remember it. Two months ago on your radio show, Phil Mackey, with you and Judd, as a guy who doesn't pat my own chest very often, I'm going to do it right here. I called 2017 a year of learning. Learning what Falvey's going to do, learning what Levine's going to do, learning if Miguel Sinell can play third base, learning if Jorge Polanco can play shortstop, learning who's maybe the closer of the future, learning what the starting rotation's going to look like as you sort of try to pick up the ashes and put this thing together into a, comp- uh, a competent group. I called 2017 a year of learning, and you guys played a bunch of laugh tracks, and you made fun of me, and you talked about, like, oh, okay, classic. Like, what a good marketing pitch. The year of learning. Hey, we might not win, but we're going to learn. learn a few things.
0: PJ Fleck has that sort of thing with the, hey, every every failure is a learning experience. So <laughs> yes. the gophers are going to
1: learn a lot is or the it, joke. Yeah, as Royce, <laughs> as Royce said then, there was They've a lot of growth in their draft. Growing, class. yes, yes. Failure is growth. I mm-hmm. will say that I'm going to double down on that stance, and in this option. Optimistic Twins podcast where optimism reigns, and we just chugged two pictures of twins Kool-Aid. I still think 2017 is a learning year. It doesn't mean it has to be a bad year, but there are a lot of things that the twins are gonna learn about themselves from the front office to the coaching staff to the playing field, and that as much as anything, even if they're not gonna win 90 games. Makes 2017, to me, a really compelling year for the Twins. Uh, uh,
0: I'm going to add one more optimistic point regarding the Twins before we wrap this thing up. Twins Kool-Aid. Yes, I would say the Twins are fortunate enough to have the two best podcasters in all of the (laughs) land, quite clearly. Sitting out here braving the elements of wind (laughs) and sunburn to cover a baseball team that lost 103 games last year. That is that is loyalty to our craft. Wow. That is We're taking one for cool you the listener right in the middle of our back. God. Risking sunburn and windburn God. for you because we love you
1: there, the listener. There is no such thing apparently as too much self-promotion.